0: But I'm working out. I love to listen to a podcast.
2: Whenever you say something, other people react to it, taking my breath away. Aaron, Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer Jim Calhoun, NASCAR icon Dale Earnhardt Jr. Welcome Kirk Herbstreit is on so the phone. Six yeah. 20,
0: the, the American yeah.
2: Sports oh, Podcast, so presented amazing. by Betfred Sportsbook. It is Thursday, November twentieth, two thousand twenty-two. People. I hope, everybody's doing, I hope everybody is having a great day. I hope everybody is ready for a loaded Thursday edition of the Air Tour Sports Podcast. Here is what you need to know about today's show. We're going to open the second round of college football playoff rankings are here. Don't want to go crazy. Don't want to completely overreact to Tuesday night's results. Um, but with that said, there was a couple interesting things I want to get to, including this. Tennessee is currently at number five after their loss to Georgia. Ahead of them in the 2-3 and three position are Ohio State and Michigan. They will obviously play, which leads to the very interesting question. What With one of the teams ahead of Tennessee set to lose, does that guarantee Tennessee ends up in the top four if they win out? I think it's a little bit more complicated than that. We will get to that. From there, we'll take a quick break, get you an update on the Nebraska coaching search. It's been quiet at Nebraska, but we got a report, and it appears as though they are starting to narrow down the list. And we will wrap with College Hoops. Monday was the opening night, it was a complete disaster, no marquee games, and your boy AT, listen, I gotta fix everything, I gotta clean everything up here, I tell you how this gets fixed in the future, we discuss that, and finally, a little recruiting nugget from Memphis that we will hit on before we get out of here. With that said, though, on today's Aaron Torres Sports Podcast, presented by Betfred Sportsbook, you know what time it is. It is time to get to the topic of the day. And the topic of the day is that we have that second set of college football playoff rankings, which were dropped on Tuesday. By now, you know the drill. But just as a quick reminder, remember, these are the rankings right now that ultimately matter in college football. So we have the AP and the coaches poll early in the year. That's cool, whatever. But now the committee is getting together every week. They are putting out their top 25. And that top 25 is ultimately what decides the four teams that will make the college football playoff. So they've gotten together. Last week, they got together. Tennessee was number one, and we talked about it then. Well, this week, they got together again, and I want to do some quick reaction. I don't, again, want to go overboard because of the fact that these rankings are going to change. Teams are going to lose like what happened last week, but there are two or three, I think, really important takeaways, including one involving Tennessee. Before we get to Uh, The the reaction, I do think it's important to kind of reference the rankings because uh, three teams from last week's top six have all lost. Tennessee took a loss to Georgia at Georgia. No shame in that. Georgia's a really good team. Clemson got smoked by Notre Dame. They were number four. And Alabama, obviously, just it's starting to not look good at Alabama. They lose to LSU on Saturday night in the Bayou. They were number six. So three of the top six teams in the first poll fell. And so these are the new rankings as of Tuesday. Georgia's at number one. Ohio State's at number two. Michigan at number three. TCU undefeated in the Big 12 at number four. Tennessee at number five. Oregon six. LSU, the first two-loss team, at number seven. USC eight. Alabama nine. Clemson 10. Ole Miss 11. UCLA 12. Utah 13. Penn State 14. North Carolina 15. If you care about the rest, you can look them up. But I do have a few reactions. First of all, let me say this. It matters to no one. My first reaction is UCLA is just getting absolutely railroaded. Okay. And I know most of you don't care about UCLA football. Although I will say, I know we have a few diehard UCLA fans that listen to this show. So shout out to you guys. You know exactly who you are. Maybe there's more of them that I'm not aware of. But why I bring it up. UCLA is getting railroaded at number 12. First of all, they're eight and one. Their only loss was to the number six team in this poll on the road at Oregon they beat the number 13 team who oh by the way USC is at number eight same record USC lost to the team that UCLA beat and so there's no reason that UCLA should be number 12 behind USC and what it comes down to is this and I, I'm gonna make this point because I don't know that anybody else will and I don't know that it matters people are gonna say well you know they didn't play anybody in the out of conference well the reason they didn't play anybody in the out of conference is is because they were supposed to play at Michigan, and Michigan decided to cancel the game. So don't blame UCLA. They had the game on the schedule. They had the flights booked and the hotel book, and I think that's a little bit of hyperbole, but they were ready to play that game, and Michigan canceled it and bought them out of the contract. And so don't blame UCLA for not having a marquee out-of-conference game because they tried to play one, and Michigan didn't want to play it. So that's the facts. That's the bottom line. I think they're getting railroaded at number 12. Their loss is better than USC's loss. The team that USC lost to is a team that UCLA beat. I think you can argue UCLA should be ahead of a few teams. Maybe Ole Miss, certainly Alabama. Speaking of which, let's get to Alabama really quick because the Alabama bias at this point is just, it's comical, okay? I know we got a lot of Bama fans that listen to this show. I'm not picking on your team. But you guys and girls know darn well just like I do. Your team's not very good. And what I would say is I know that when these rankings come out, everybody says, oh, it doesn't matter. And it will all figure itself out. And to a large degree, that is true. That is correct. But here is why the Alabama bias matters. And before we get to it, Alabama at nine and two, or seven and two, excuse me, sitting at number nine. I'll just say this. Clemson at number 10. I don't like Clemson. I don't think they're good but they have one fewer loss. They actually have two wins in the top 25. Alabama has one. Clemson should be ahead of them. Ole Miss is eight and one. They should be ahead of Alabama. And to be blunt, UCLA should be ahead of Alabama too. So Alabama should not be in the top 10. But here is why Alabama bias, and here's why just in general, these rankings matter. Everybody says, oh, the rankings, they don't matter it all, figure itself out. Well, here's why it matters. Last week, if you remember, Alabama was at number six in the first college football playoff poll. Okay. Why is that important? It is because they were ahead of an undefeated TCU team, even though Alabama had a loss. So why is that important to this week? It's because of the fact there was no reason to have them ahead of TCU. By the way, TCU had three or four ranked wins at the time. Now, some of those teams have lost, but I bring it up because why it's important is this. TCU was ranked behind a one-loss Alabama team last, last week. Alabama loses. TCU moves up. And did you see who they moved ahead of? They moved ahead of Tennessee with one loss, with a better resume than Alabama, with a better loss than Alabama on the road to a good Georgia team. And so this is why it matters to get these rankings right. Because a Tennessee fan, and I don't even think they're mad, but it would be justified. Because if you said that Alabama's resume was better than TCU's last week, there is nothing on Tennessee's resume today that isn't better than TCU's if you think that Alabama's resume was better. Now, nobody actually thinks Alabama's resume was better. We just think it was bias, which it was. But that's why the rankings matter. With that said, why Tennessee fans aren't mad is because what's really interesting is something that came up, and I think this is the big talking point out of week two. Tennessee loses at Georgia. Like I said, there's no shame in that. Georgia's a great program. Maybe the best program we have in college football right now. But with that said, they sit, they, they they fall and they only fall to number five in the rankings. And by the way, I think that's totally fair. I think that that's, that's perfectly a reasonable spot for them. I think you could argue they should be at number four. If TCU's resume wasn't better than Alabama's last week, it's not better than Tennessee's this week, but having them at number five is interesting for this reason. If you look at the top four, the four teams ahead of them, Georgia, okay, whatever, Ohio State, then Michigan, then TCU. Why is that important for Tennessee at number five? It's because two weekends from now, Ohio State plays, drum roll please, you guessed it, the Michigan Wolverines. And so I think Tennessee fans are waking up on Tuesday, on Wednesday, Thursday morning, sitting there saying, listen. If we went out, one of the teams ahead of us is going to lose a game. All we got to do is win out from here, and we're going to the college football playoff. Now, what I would say, Tennessee fans, I'm not saying you're not going to the playoff if you went out. That's not what I'm saying at all. But what I would say is be careful thinking that way. And more importantly, I want to get into what would be the scenarios that Tennessee potentially gets left out. Now, if you're a Tennessee fan, here's the good news. I do think you are going to have the trump card over the loser of Ohio State-Michigan. I don't see any scenario where a one-loss Michigan or Ohio State gets in over a one-loss Tennessee, assuming, of course, that none of those teams lose outside of the Michigan-Ohio State game. In other words, if Michigan or Ohio State is not the Big Ten champ, I don't think that they're going to have a better resume than Tennessee, who obviously is not going to win the SEC with the way things are currently going. So if it's an 11-1 Ohio State or an 11-1 Michigan versus an 11-1 Tennessee, Tennessee is going to have the better resume. We just talked about it with Michigan. Michigan's schedule stinks. They played nobody in the out-of-conference except for the Yukon Huskies. Played nobody in the out-of-conference, okay? Um, on top of that, the, the, the Big Ten is just down. So they have a decent win against Penn State at home. If they don't beat Ohio state, they have no resume to really speak of. And so why that's interesting to me, I don't think Tennessee would get jumped by Michigan if they lose to Ohio state. And I don't think Ohio state's going to have much of a leg to to stand on. If they lose to Michigan, they'll have a couple good fringe top 15 ish wins with Notre Dame, which is kind of moving up week one. Obviously Ohio state played Notre Dame Penn state. Okay. We'll see where they end but there's going to be nothing on that resume that that's more impressive than what Tennessee did by going to LSU and getting a win, which is probably going to be your SEC West champ and then beating Bama at home, even though I think Bama's is a little bit overrated right now in the polls. Beyond that, I'd say this. I think the Tennessee Clemson conversation becomes interesting. I think the edge would probably go to Tennessee. Again, it comes down to what is Clemson's resume going to look like at the end of the year? Now right now NC State is currently 7 and 2 and they're in the top 20. Are they going to finish that way? I don't know. Florida State 23rd in the country right now at 6 and 3. So right now they have two top 25 wins. Neither of them is more impressive than Tennessee's two best wins. They will play potentially North Carolina in the conference championship game which is at number 15. But again, is the, you know, a couple fringe top 15 wins going to be better than what Tennessee has as an 11-1 and non-SEC champion? I'm not sure. I think Tennessee would get in over a one-loss Clemson. I think the way the committee is saying it, they'll, they'll definitely get in over a one-loss TCU if they were to win the conference but lose a game, and then at that point, the conversation becomes completely different. And I think they get in over the, the loser of Michigan-Ohio State. Where I do think it gets complicated, though, is this, that pesky old Pac-12. And I know what you guys are sitting there and saying, there is no way that anybody in the Pac-12 is better than Tennessee. And I'm not going to sit here and argue who would win in a neutral site game, Oregon versus Tennessee or USC versus Tennessee or UCLA versus Tennessee. What I do think, though, is that if any of those three, and right now I think it's important to note, Oregon is undefeated, or Oregon, excuse me, is 8-1, and UCLA and USC, all three are 8-1. and I do think there'd be an interesting argument about all three if they were to win out and win the conference. Keep in mind, by the way, next week we'll get some clarification. Oregon will play Utah at home. Utah is a top 15 team as well. And USC and UCLA will play at the Rose Bowl next Saturday. So we'll get some clarification on this. But I think all three of those teams, if they were to win out, they would have a very compelling case that they should jump Tennessee over, they should get into the playoff over Tennessee as a one-loss Pac-12 champ, and let me explain why. Let's start with UCLA, because I think people would sit there and say, well, UCLA didn't play anybody in the out-of-conference. There's no way they deserve to be in over Tennessee. And what I would say is, right now, Tennessee, UCLA doesn't have a resume that's anywhere close to Tennessee's. But think about what UCLA could be by the end of the year. Right now, they do have one very impressive win, Utah at home. Utah is currently number 13, 7-2 overall. We'll see what happens next week with Utah. Then they play USC. USC could be a 10-2 and two team to finish the season if UCLA beats them. So if UCLA beats USC and Utah, those are two pretty good wins. And then, oh, by the way, if Oregon wins out, they're going to be a top-five team going into conference championship week. Remember, Michigan or Ohio State is going to lose. Tennessee is going to go into the four spot. Oregon's going to be number five. If you beat a top five Oregon team, all of a sudden by the end of the year, that UCLA resume looks pretty darn impressive. Three wins against teams that are going to finish in the top 15. And here's the caveat. At that point, UCLA would have avenged the only loss of their season. They played Oregon at Oregon and got smoked, okay? And I'm not trying to discredit Oregon for that. But what I am saying and why I think it's important is if UCLA were to beat Oregon in a rematch, you could sit there and say, hey, they went on the road. It wasn't their best day. They have now beaten everyone on their schedule. They're 12-1, and three impressive wins. And more importantly, they beat the team that beat them. So that's one, that's the interesting one from UCLA. And I think it's a compelling conversation if UCLA were to win out. Let's look at USC because I think USC is really interesting. Now, USC, if you told me who is most likely to win out, believe it or not, I would say USC is probably in the third position. And I'll be blunt, you know, and I would say the same thing about UCLA as well. I don't think USC is one of the top four teams in college football. But again, if USC wins out, they're going to have a very compelling resume. Right now, there really is no great win on uh, USC's resume, which is why I don't understand why they're ranked ahead of UCLA. But if they were to win out, here's what their resume would be. First off, their only loss would be by one point on the road at Utah, which is going to finish in the top 15. Then they would have beaten UCLA on the road, which we're talking about a potential top 10 team. Obviously, they beat Oregon in a neutral site conference championship game at that point, that is probably a top five to top 10 win, but here's the catch on top of playing UCLA, this, this two weeks from now, and on top of playing Oregon, potentially in the PAC 12 championship game, they also play Notre Dame and all of a sudden Notre Dame is ranked number 20 right now and just beat Clemson. So all of a sudden, by the time you play Notre Dame, they could be a top 15 win. Now, they would fall if they lose to USC. But if USC wins that game, you're talking about in the final month of the season, a win at UCLA, Notre Dame at home, Oregon on a neutral field. That's a pretty good last month. You're talking about three wins in the top 20, two in the top 15, one probably in the top five by the time you play Oregon. And... On top of all of that, you have a situation where, uh, you know, you 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 did what you were supposed to do late. You had success late. Um, and two of those wins, you, you know, the, the 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 one win, excuse me, the one loss would have been by one point against a good team. This isn't Clemson getting destroyed, okay? This is a loss to a good team by one point on the road when you have the ball a chance to win late. So that's the USC argument. Now, Oregon. That one's probably the most interesting. If Oregon were to win out, here's what they would do. Already beaten UCLA, beat them convincingly. Play Utah next week, another top 15 win, if they were to get it. And then they would play USC or UCLA in the Pac-12 championship game, whoever wins that game. So you're now looking at either two wins over UCLA plus a win over uh, Utah or a win over the three other best teams in your league, asserting yourself as by far the best team. Then Oregon and Dan Lanning go to the podium the night of the Pac-12 championship game and say, we beat everybody in our conference. The only loss of the season was on opening day, the first game of the season, two and a half months ago, three months ago at that point, in Georgia against Georgia. And we went... 13 and 0 cents and we're conference champions. I guess it would be 12 and 0 cents and we're conference champions. That's a pretty compelling argument. And can you imagine if on the final day under this hypothetical, we got Georgia in the playoff, we got either Michigan or Ohio state and we got TCU. Can you imagine that committee in that room sitting there saying, do we take Tennessee at 11 and one whose only loss was at Georgia or Oregon who's 12-1, and Pac-12 champ, and whose only loss is to Georgia in a neutral field that was in Georgia. I'm not telling you what I know what the committee would do. It would set up for a fascinating conversation, and we'll see. Tennessee fans, take a deep breath. We'll see what happens. There's a lot of football to be played. But the Pac-12, to me, that's the one you got to worry about. Clemson's got a really bad loss on their resume in terms of how it looked optically. Michigan and Ohio State are going to knock each other off. We'll see what happens with TCU. Where it gets interesting is that Pac-12 champion, though. If Oregon, UCLA, or USC, if any of them finish ahead, uh, finish at 12-1, and 1, they're going to have a very compelling argument. Great first segment of the Tour Sports Pod, man. I'm fired up. I'm fired up with all my college football hypotheticals. Speaking of hypotheticals, this is what we're going to do. Take a quick break, come back. We have a very interesting report on the Nebraska job. I think they know who they want. We'll discuss that next. All right, we're going to get back to the show in a minute. But before we do, I want to welcome back our presenting sponsor, Betfred Sportsbook and the Betfred Sportsbook app. Listen, I've told you all about Betfred since we started with them at the start of football season. They began in the U.K. 1967, one of the most respected shops in the U.K., over 1,600 shops in the U.K., and since they've come to the United States, they have made a major splash. They are the gambling sponsor of the Cincinnati Bengals, of the Denver Broncos, of the Colorado Rockies, and what I love about Betfred is nobody does more for their customers than Betfred in the Betfred Sportsbook. Listen, I've told you all about it, but the Betfred suite at all the Cincinnati Bengals games is hopping. We, the Aaron Torres Pod, have sent people to Denver Broncos VIP tailgates before their games. Uh, Mattress Mac, we were with Mattress Mac at the World Series over the last two weeks because that is what we do for our betters, and this is what we're going to do for you. Betfred has a special offer for all listeners of the Aaron Torres Podcast. This is what you got to do. Download the Betfred app. Bet $50 on any game, any team, whatever you want, whoever you like. Bet $50. Get 250 in free bets courtesy of Betfred. It could be NFL, college football, college basketball that has now started, NBA, whatever you want. Bet 50. Get 250 in free bets courtesy of the Betfred Sportsbook. They are the best sportsbook going. I love working with them. And I can't thank Betfred Sportsbook enough for being our presenting sponsor.
1: 18 plus all
2: right everybody i am back good to be back gonna be back i do want to stay on the college football stuff and i do want to talk about one of our favorite topics but with a new twist so the topic is the college football coaching carousel which obviously this time of year we talk about quite a bit especially over the last couple of years as the firings have come earlier and earlier leading to more and more speculation. Of course, over the last couple of days, most of the focus has been on the Auburn Tigers. We know Brian Harson was fired about 10 or so days ago, give or take. And really since then, it's been really just talking about all of the things that have happened since. Uh, Brian Harson's comments on the way out. Lane Kiffin's comments on why he thinks they should hire Deion Sanders. Uh, Hugh Freeze after he beat Arkansas, whether he is the favorite or not. Uh, so we've done a ton of Auburn over the last couple of days. But I do find it interesting that the other, I would say, marquee coaching job that is really open, at least historically, it's been really, really quiet, hasn't it? Right? Think about Nebraska. Nebraska fires Scott Frost in early September, mid-September. Remember, they could have waited till October 1 and saved $7.5 million. And they said, you are so bad. You are bringing us down so hard. We got to get rid of you right now in the middle of September. But since that firing, it really has been pretty quiet from the Nebraska home front, which is kind of ironic because uh, the AD, Trev Albert, said, look, you're going to hear a lot of names. Some of them will be true. Some of them won't be. But don't believe everything that you've heard. Yet with that said, it feels like it's been very quiet. But the good news, the reason I'm talking about it today, is because it appears as though we do have a little bit of an update from one of the most well-respected college football reporters on the planet. The other day, I saw this. Bruce Feldman works for Fox Sports. Obviously, the big noon kickoff show was asked about these coaching jobs, and Bruce Feldman did put out four names that he believes Nebraska has zeroed in on. Now, a couple of them I believe, a couple of them I don't, but let's get into who the four names are. As Bruce Feldman on TV, Big Fox said that he believes that the Nebraska job is essentially down to four guys. Former Carolina Panthers head coach and Baylor head coach Matt Rule current Army head coach, Jeff Munkin. Uh, Who else? We got offensive coordinator at Alabama, Bill O'Brien. And we have Gary Patterson, the former TCU head coach. And so what I would say is what I just said a second ago. Some of those names, I believe, some of them I believe are being leaked to try to create interest that isn't really there. So let's talk about those four, what I believe is serious, what isn't, and also who could be in the mix here down the road. First of all, Matt Rule, listen, this is to me, The no doubt about it of all, no doubt about it. The day Scott Frost was fired, I said I would sit there and wait to see what happens in Carolina because if he gets let go, that's my number one choice, no doubt about it. And of course, when I said that he was still the head coach of the Carolina Panthers, well, a few weeks ago, he got let go by Carolina in the midst of just a terrible, terrible, terrible season. But what I think happened is that lost in him struggling as an NFL head coach This guy was a really good college coach. And there was a reason that he was so coveted as an NFL head coach. And I'll be honest, I think Matt Rule struggling in the NFL speaks more to the fact that if you don't have a quarterback in the NFL, it doesn't really matter. And so I think he never got the quarterback right. It happens. But now it is realistic for him to come back to college and he's going to have a ton of options. But I think for Nebraska, he is the best option again, because he struggled in the NFL. Everybody's going to sit there and say, oh, he's not that good. No, as a college coach, he's awesome. Let's quickly go through his resume in case you forgot. T- uh, t- first head coaching job, Temple gets there year one, one and eleven. By year three, wins 10 games. By year four, wins 10 games as well. That is at Temple, a terrible, terrible, terrible football school that has basically struggled largely since he left. Then he goes to Baylor. And I'll be blunt. When he went to Baylor, I said, I don't know, Northeast guy play, you know, Penn State background, coach with the Giants, coached at Temple. I don't think this guy's going to fit at Baylor. And keep in mind, at the time, Baylor was coming off that crazy, crazy, crazy scandal involving Art Bryles, all sorts of stuff. You know, sexual assault allegations, quite a few on that roster. There were animal abuse allegations. I mean, you go down the list, everything that could go wrong at Baylor, every impropriety that you could have basically happen at Baylor, that was the mess that he walked into. And within three years, he had them playing to go to the college football playoff. Year one, one and 11. By year three, they finished 11 and three. But keep in mind, they were 11 and one to end the regular season, played in the Big 12 championship game. If they won the Big 12 title game, they were going to the college football playoff. So don't tell me that this guy can't rebuild Nebraska if he could rebuild Baylor in three years. And as I've said before, I think in the NIL world, he'd be great. He is a program builder. I thought he did a great job at Baylor. He had no background in the area and put together a plan to have success there. And it worked really well at Baylor. Last thought on Matt Rule. I would say this about Matt Rule. Keep in mind, last year, Baylor won a Big 12 title with most of his players, most of his guys that were recruited by him, many of them currently in the NFL, Tyquan Thornton, JT Woods, safety over there, Tyquan Thornton's a wide receiver, Abraham Smith, a running back. Those guys were all recruited by Matt Rule, or at least most of them were. And guess what? As a lot of them have left, have you seen what's going on at Baylor? They're struggling this year with the guys largely that were recruited by Dave Aranda. So I don't want to discredit Dave Aranda for coaching those guys up, but Matt Rule left the cupboard full, left a Big 12 championship roster In place for Dave Aranda. Now the only holdup with Matt Rule, as far as being a Nebraska candidate, is two things. One, at the college level, he's going to have options. He's obviously a guy that Auburn will pursue. Now, to be blunt, it feels like to me he's more northeast and Midwest than he is a southeast portion of the country. Uh, You know, obviously, like I said, was at Temple. You know, Penn State background, Uh, New York Giants before he went to the NFL. Goes to Baylor. Northeast, Midwest, Southwest, Southeast, I don't know if he's ready to get, you know, I don't know if he's the right fit for Auburn. Let me put it that way, and I'll say this, I don't know if you have great options if Auburn is the one that you want. By the way, you know what Matt Rule's best option might be? He's got a $40 million buyout from the Carolina Panthers that they owe to him as part of his contract. And so it might just, he he just might say, you know what? I looked it over. I looked Auburn over. No, thank you. I looked uh, Nebraska over. No, thank you. I'm just going to go ahead and sit this season out and see what's available a year from now. Don't know him. Don't know what his interests are. But I would say if it comes down to Nebraska and Auburn, he wants to get back to coaching. It does feel like Nebraska is probably the one that makes more sense. And if I'm Trev Alberts, I'm doing whatever I can to try to convince him to take the Nebraska job. Some of the other candidates. Jeff Munkin, you know, it's interesting. I actually heard Jeff Munkin's name early on in the process, and I kind of shoot it away and said, "Eh, I don't really think this is going to happen. Well, fast forward, and it appears as though he's very much in the mix. So credit to the person that told me that. Discredit to me. Shame on you. Slap on the wrist for not listening to the people that are telling you these things. People that don't know much about Jeff Munkin's background, um, really, really, really successful at Army. And I I think you can legitimately argue that Army is maybe – Maybe the toughest job in college football? I don't know. But how about this? The last four years prior to the season, 10 wins in 2017, 11 wins in 2018, uh, 20, uh, nine wins in 2020, the COVID year, nine wins in 2021. So four of the last five complete seasons, Jeff Munkin has... Had Army with at least nine wins. Sorry, I tripped over my own words there. Had, has gotten at least nine wins at Army. That is really impressive. By the way, for the last five years played in bowl games, four and one in those bowl games. Interesting candidate. Obviously had success at the FCS level at Georgia Southern. Now, Georgia Southern is now an FBS program. They were an FCS team at the time. Multiple deep runs in the FCS playoff. Now, as far as his candidacy, I think there's some positives and negatives. One, if you can build an Army, you can build it anywhere. But where the concern would come in for me is kind of multifold. One, he's never coached the Power Five level. Nebraska's a big, big, big boy job. But two, more importantly, the triple option stuff would scare me. Obviously, for people who don't know, Army runs the triple option, okay? And so what would scare me is a few things. Now, I do think for some Nebraska fans, going back to the option, they would probably like that. That was obviously, for people who don't remember, that was where they had their highest levels of success in the 80s and 90s. But my thought on the triple option is, or the option, I should say, maybe not the triple option, is that while I think it would appease a certain part of the Nebraska fan base, two, I think there's a lot of people that are like, eh, that that feels like kind of 25, 30 years ago, going back to the future there. Beyond that, what would really scare me, and we've seen this at Georgia Tech the last couple years, once you commit to going to the triple option, it's like a 10-year process if you ever want to get back. And what I mean by that is you go – It's going to take two or three years to really get the personnel you need to run that system. Even Jeff Munkin went four and eight, two and ten his first two years. But it's going to take three or four years to get the personnel that you need. You hope you can start winning. But if you ever have to fire the guy, it's another three, four, five years to get back to getting the personnel that you need to run more traditional stuff. Look at Georgia Tech. They were largely successful under Paul Johnson. They try to transition out of the triple option. It's been a disaster. They just had to fire their head coach. He was there for four years, and they still weren't looking like an FBS Power 5 football program. So that's where the concern comes into me. I don't love the idea of going to the option. I would also say optically, and I'll I'll put this to Nebraska fans. You guys and girls tell me. I think it kind of looks like you feel like as a Nebraska that you need a gimmick to succeed, right? Like, like, like you're basically saying, we can't beat Ohio State playing Ohio State football. We can't beat Michigan playing Michigan football. So we got to go do something completely different. I don't know that I feel that way about Nebraska. I've talked about this a lot with Nebraska. I think in a 12-team playoff world, there is a world that Nebraska can build the third best team in the Big Ten and make the playoff on a regular basis. I don't think you need to go gimmick. I don't think you need to go 1940s. I don't think you need to go triple option I just don't love it. Be curious uh, how far down the road they are with Jeff Munkin. The other thing is he's three and five this year. Uh, they do close over the next couple of weeks weeks uh, with a couple more games. They do play my UConn Huskies here coming up. Uh, but this is a team that is currently sitting at three and five overall. Still have Troy, UConn, UMass, and Navy. That's the other part of it too. I know he's been good. Probably pretty tough to sell a, a coach coming off a six and six, five and seven type season to your fan base. Last two candidates. First of all, Bill O'Brien, I'm sorry. I just don't buy this one. I trust Bruce. I trust his reporting. He's great at what he does. But a couple of things stand out here. One, I I just, let me just put it this way. I don't buy it. Okay. Sometimes, and I think we all know this, but we have to remember it, is that agents, you know, are the guys that kind of run these, these searches along with search firms and agents do a really good job of making sure that their candidates get their names out there. Um, and I think this feels more like an agent push than anything else. Remember last year, Bill O'Brien's name was quote unquote linked to every job in college football, LSU, USC, Florida, Oklahoma. Go back and look at those coaching search lists. Bill O'Brien was on all of them. I don't think he even got an interview for any of them. I don't think there's a market for Bill O'Brien. I think this is his agent trying to create a market. Now I would say, I think there's one school that maybe would have interest in him. That's Georgia Tech. He was a longtime assistant there. But outside of that, this feels like an agent trying to create a market. This is a guy that, and I get it, Midwest coached at the big in the Big Ten at Penn State. I don't buy this at all. This just feels like something that's being created for a media storm, created to try to get his name out there. I mean, all you got to do is turn on the tape of Alabama. Alabama's having its worst season literally in a decade, regular season. First time since they've lost two games in 2010 and a big part of since 2010 and a big part of it. Let me, let me rephrase that first time since 2010, they've lost two games pre Thanksgiving because I know some people are going to get on my butt about that. First time they've lost two games since since 2010 before Thanksgiving. It's the offense. It's a complete mess. Nick Saban's going to try to force him out at the end of the season. And so I just look at this Bill O'Brien thing. I don't really buy it. The Georgia tech thing is something I do buy. Because again, he was a long-time assistant there. Don't really see it. Don't really buy Bill O'Brien as the head coach. And I'd finally say, like, Gary Patterson's another one. I don't don't really see it. You look at Gary Patterson, listen, I get the resume. Built TCU, Texas ties. You got to recruit Texas to have success at Nebraska. Program builder. And if Nebraska just said, like, look, we're going to hire this guy for four or five years. Help him, have him help us reestablish everything and then pass it off to somebody else. Okay, that I could buy. But to me, Gary Patterson feels like a a scorned lover, feels like you could even see some of his comments in the lead up to his firing as well as his firing last year at TCU, basically saying like, I don't need to change. I don't, and then when he gets fired, like feels like it's this complete outrage. It's like, no, dude, I get that you've been there 20 years. I get that you led the team to some really successful seasons, but this is a results-oriented business and you're not getting the job done the last couple of years. Gary Patterson's last four years, here's here's what they are. Seven and six, five and seven during the COVID year, six and four, three and five before he got fired last year. And then, oh, by the way, remember, all his players are now in position, as I record here on Tuesday night before the playoff poll, to potentially make the college football playoff. So don't tell me that he was wrongly fired and he just needs another chance. And I guess that would be my concern. Is this scorned Gary Patterson that, wants to prove people wrong because he feels like he was wronged? Or is this Gary Patterson that really in a year away has learned something and is ready to help rebuild the football program? I thought it was interesting, even in Bruce Feldman's comments about Gary Patterson, this is his exact quote. He said, Nebraska has to wonder how confident would they be that they're getting a Gary Patterson 2.0 if they took a chance on him. In other words, has he actually evolved or is it gonna be the same guy that was basically 500- over his last four years at Nebraska. So those are the four candidates. I definitely buy Rule. I don't really get Munkin. I don't buy Bill O'Brien at all. I sort of get Gary Patterson. The one variable I would say here as well, there's going to be other candidates. But then also, I just think you have to consider that there's names that we don't know that could be in the mix. Nobody was talking about Brian Kelly for LSU at this point last year. Nobody was talking about Lincoln Riley for USC at this point this time last year. So keep in mind all of that. Somebody is going to be interested. Somebody is going to emerge. And I think there are going to be other names outside of it. But I'll say this. If Matt Rule is available, go get yourself a little bit of Matt Rule. All right, so what I want to do take a quick break, come back, wrap the show. We're going to take a quick break. You know what it means. We'll be right back. All right, we're going to get back to the show in a minute. But before we do, I want to welcome back the sponsor of our Aaron Torres Pod NFL Pick'em Challenge, Bracket Fanatics. Here's the deal. I've told you about Bracket Fanatics before, but I am going to tell you again. We worked with them in the NCAA tournament each of the last two years. I love working with them. And what I love about Bracket Fanatics, they are just giving away cold hard cash to listeners of the Aaron Torres Pod. We are running a weekly NFL Pick'em pool. We are giving out weekly winners a $100 cash prize and a season long $1,000 cash prize for the person who has the most correct picks over the course of the season. If you have not signed up, I know week nine is done, but it is not too late. Okay. What's what you got to do? Go to bracketfanatics.com. join bracket. The bracket name is Torres. Now look, you're going to have some ground to make up in the season long $1,000 cash prize, but you can still do it. I got faith in you. I really feel like you're going to be able to handle it, but if you haven't signed up, do it now, um, because you could still be entered to win the thousand dollar season long cash prize, and we're handing out hundred dollar weekly winners. So even if you haven't signed up yet, you can take advantage of that for the next nine weeks of the NFL regular season. Go to bracketfanatics.com, join bracket, bracket name Torres. If you have not signed up yet, it is not too late. And if you have signed up, make sure to make your week ten picks. Love working with bracket fanatics. Bracketfanatics.com, join bracket, bracket name Torres
1: 18 plus
2: all right everybody i am back gonna be back gonna be back final segment of the show so good to be back and i do want to wrap i uh, with a little bit of college hoops and by the way quick announcement before we get started or a quick reminder is probably the right word we do have a new college hoop specific show as part of aaron torres media zach kroll uh, a writer for me lives in the new york area he is hosting the college hoops daily podcast Uh, quick hitting fun. He went a little long on the first episode, but, uh, it's available wherever you download podcasts, Apple, Spotify, whatever. I will be making weekly appearances on there to kind of recap college hoops, talk it in another place. So make sure to check it out. College hoops daily with Zach Kroll uh, available on Apple and Spotify. Some of the smaller platforms I've been working with all week to make sure that it gets up and loaded there, but a new place to listen to college hoops. Speaking of college hoops, it was opening night on Monday. Yes, that was a thing that happened, and yes, it was a conversation that I discussed a little bit on Monday's show, but I just got to tell you, just a colossal all-time failure by college hoops with zero impactful, meaningful games. There were, for the first time ever, how about this, all top 25 teams played on the same night in college basketball. Just one problem, none of them played each other. We had zero top 25 matchups, and frankly, Zero interesting games. It got to the point that it was so bad. I had multiple people, like people that I know, people that I like, people that I respect, texting me on Monday, wait, tonight's opening night? Wait, these games count? Like I just turned on this channel or that channel. Are these games, do they matter? Yes, they matter. Yes, they count. And I've had multiple people ask me over the last couple of days, why did college basketball start off with such a dud, which I want to get into now? And by the way, when I say people asking me, Not just fans, not just you guys listening, guys and girls listening. I had other people in the media like, Torres, what happened? Why was it so bad? So let's get into it, why it went wrong, and how it could potentially be fixed. You know, first of all, there is a reason as to why the opening night of college basketball stunk, okay? It was because uh, election day was Tuesday. Generally, the first night of college hoops is the first Tuesday in November. That's when we have the Champions Classic. I think most of you know, but that is the event that features Duke, Kansas, Kentucky, and Michigan State. Uh, That's usually the first Tuesday of the college. uh, The first night of the college hoop season is the first Tuesday in November, and we have the Champions Classic. The thing was this year, the first Tuesday in November, it was Election Day. And if you remember, two years ago, the NCAA and college basketball really made it a priority that like, hey, when there's an election, We want to give these kids off. We want them to learn about the responsibility of voting and all that good stuff, right? This isn't political, not right or wrong. But one of the things about college is educating people on stuff outside of the sport that they play. And obviously, uh, you know, voting was an initiative that college basketball took on and the NCAA took on. And so in 2020, there were no events allowed. Now, this year, it was loosened a little bit but it was frowned upon to really play anything significant. And that was why the champions classic was pushed back to next year. And so that's the reason why there were no marquee games. Everybody got their, their, their opener out of the way on Monday. Basically nobody played on Tuesday. And then by, you know, the, the rest of the week, we'll get some more games. Friday will be the first marquee game. Gonzaga, Michigan state, by the way, make sure you're subscribed to the, the YouTube channel. I'll probably do a live reaction from the cruise ship or from the, uh, aircraft carrier on Friday, So stay tuned to that. But that is why we had no marquee games because the normal start date is the first Tuesday in November. This year, it was an election day. With that said, that is still not an excuse for the dog crap schedule that we got on Tuesday. And so a couple of things or Monday, a couple of things stand out to me. One, I understand you don't want to play on election day. Okay. But just because you don't want to play on election day, doesn't mean that everybody has to open on Monday and everybody has to open by playing nobody, okay? I think this is a failure by everybody involved in college basketball, not just the coaches and the programs, but how about the TV partners too? I understand you don't want to compete with Monday Night Football, specifically if you're ESPN, but there are other networks, other places that broadcast games, and I think a great way to counter-program against the NFL, put on something good. By the way, ESPN put on a game before Monday Night Football. Monday Night Football doesn't kick off 8 8.30. You couldn't have given me, um, you know, Baylor versus somebody at 4 o'clock in the afternoon. Baylor played at 11 a.m. Eastern time. Get somebody good. Get them in the gym with Baylor. Play a meaningful game, which will lead right into Monday Night Football. How about this if you want to get creative? Get somebody to go out to play Gonzaga and have it after Monday Night Football. Monday Night Football is usually done around 11, 11.30 Eastern time. 830 Pacific, give me Gonzaga, San Diego state or something like that. You mean to tell me that wouldn't have been a huge ratings boom. I believe that it would have. And so it was a failure, not just with the coaches, but with the people who put these games together, the event planners, the TV networks, all that good stuff. There was an opportunity here. And so I don't like it. I would also add this. This was something that struck me as well. So I'm not a very religious person. Okay. I was not aware that one of the 10 commandments was Thou shalt not play the champions classic on anything other than a Tuesday. Like, why couldn't we have just done the champions classic on a Monday? Why couldn't we have done it on a Wednesday? I'm not saying that it had to be on opening night, but what's going on on Wednesday? A couple crappy NBA games put on college basketball in that time slot. Again, if it's not the champions classic, there's no reason you can't play a meaningful game on Wednesday or on Thursday. Friday, like I said, we'll finally get Gonzaga, Michigan State on the aircraft carrier. It doesn't make sense as to why we couldn't have done this. And so the question now is one, really, really the question is what went wrong and how does it get fixed? We know what went wrong. There was no good games. Why did it happen? To me, it's pretty straightforward. And it frankly speaks to something that we've discussed quite a bit on this show. Why it was such a disaster. I truly believe, you know me, I'm not Mr. Blame and blame the NCAA on everything guy, but I do think this speaks to something we've discussed on the show quite a bit, which is the lack of leadership at the NCAA level. And what I mean by that is, look, the NCAA it's going through transition, they don't have a president right now, I get it, okay? And they've they've they have much bigger issues to solve besides figuring out how to play a good game on the opening night of college hoops. NIL's got to get figured out, the transfer portal's got to get figured out. But at the same time, you know, I I do think that there needs to be somebody that looks out for the good of college basketball. It's interesting, right? Um, Coach K has actually been saying this for at least a decade that I know of. We need somebody at the NCAA level that's just in charge of college basketball, that only cares about college basketball's best interests, and we don't have that. And I do think it's important. I don't know what the new structure of the NCAA will look like. But I do think it's important, especially in this world that we live in. And I get it where college football controls everything. We do need somebody that looks out for the good of college basketball and just, you know, looks at the calendar on November 7th or 8th or whatever the date was and says, wait a second. This is how we're opening. No, 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 no. Let's get a TV partner involved. Let's get two teams involved again. There are programs that are willing to play. I heard this narrative of nobody wants to play a marquee game on opening night. Hmm. You sure? I think Mark few would. I think Scott Drew would. I think um I think there's other coaches. Tom Izzo certainly would. Tom Izzo's not afraid to play anybody anywhere. I can't think of anybody else. You know, North Carolina historically has played on the road early in the season, small venues. So there had to be somebody. And again, I think it just speaks to the idea that there is no leadership at the top. And there needs to be somebody at the NCAA level and hopefully in the next iteration of college bas- of of the NCAA that does look out for the good of college basketball. By the way some of it's on the conferences too. Remember about 3 or 4 years ago when they launched the ACC network and they went to 20 league games. Do you remember what they did? They played ACC games to open the season. I don't remember all of them, but Virginia Syracuse was one, Notre Dame North Carolina was one. Um and maybe that's the answer. Maybe it's going through the conferences. Maybe it's the 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 you know the SEC Greg Sankey saying, "Wait a second now, nobody wants to take over this opening night in college hoops?" Okay, we will. Bruce Pearl, Auburn, pack your bags, you're going to Lexington. Eric Musselman, Arkansas, pack your bags, you're going to to Knoxville. Now, some coaches like John Calipari would have a heart attack. But again, if it's for the good of the sport, again, this sport needs energy and momentum on opening night, and it just didn't have that. As a matter of fact, I was thinking, I actually think Dana O'Neill from The Athletic wrote something to this effect. I didn't fully read what she wrote. But it is funny that Greg Sankey's trying to screw up the perfect ending to a, a sport in college basketball by expanding the NCA tournament. Instead, let's work on getting the the start of the season fixed. The end of the season is good, but let's focus on getting the start of the season fixed. I believe that's the answer. Getting some kind of oversight at the NCA level where somebody just says, like, look, this is what we're doing. Figure it out. You're playing these games. This is how it's going to go down. To me, you can say, oh, that'll never happen. Well, you think Roger Goodell asked Sean McVay if he wants to host the Bills on opening night? Or you think they just put the Bills on the schedule? You think uh, Adam Silver, he might, because he doesn't have a backbone. You think he just asks, you know, hey, uh, Lakers, you want to play the Warriors on opening night? Or are you just send the Lakers to play the Warriors? So to me, it has to start with leadership. And I think it does fall on the coaches, the, the TV networks, all that good stuff. But what a disappointing night. And let's hope, um, you know, let's just hope that we can get um, a better start in the future. I believe the Champions Classic next year, again, does not open the season. But hopefully we get back on that cycle soon because the opening night of College Hoops was just a total, total dud. All right, there was one more College Hoops topic that I do want to get to before we get out of here. and um, Frankly, it's something from the weekend that I just didn't have a chance to get to earlier in the week. And you know how it gets sometimes here on the Aaron Torres Pod in November. Uh, we obviously are going to focus on football, uh, you know, on a Monday, Tuesday show. But a few of you have asked me about it, and so I just figured I'd do a quick segment here in the middle of the week, talk a little bit about it, and then we will get out of here. The topic it involves our old buddy, Penny Hardaway. And anyone who listens to this show kind of knows my, you know, my situation with penny is is one. I loved the hire when it happened. Um, and I love that he is so outspoken and unafraid of taking kind of public arrows. But I have also been critical of him, right? When he says that I expect to win a national championship the year they had James Wiseman and they were trending to not make the tournament before he was canceled because of COVID. When he says I want all the smoke, when he's chirping at reporters saying it's a dumb question asking about this and that and the other thing, you know, I I, I have to play. I have to be fair to both sides. So I liked when he was hired. I was critical, but I also thought he did an awesome job late last season. If you remember Memphis was struggling in the middle of the year. Um, Amani Bates leaves the team. They call it medical issues, but nobody really knows the team played really well. The team played themselves into the NCAA tournament. And we talked a lot about him down the stretch of college hoops last year. And I give him credit for turning that thing around and getting it right. Well, the topic with Penny Hardaway that I want to discuss today actually has little to do with on the court Memphis to its credit. See, I can say nice things about Penny. They were one of the few teams that actually went out and played somebody earlier this week. Uh, they went to Vanderbilt. Jerry Stackhouse got the win in Nashville. So a nice win for Memphis and Penny Hardaway to start 1-0. and But the topic today that we're going to discuss is actually some Memphis recruiting news. Because over the weekend, Penny Hardaway got commitments from not one, but two very prominent high school players, but not necessarily the best players in their class. The most notable one, Mikey Williams, 6'3 guard from the San Diego area. Uh, Very prominent player. We'll get into a little bit of his background right now, but kind of tumbling down the recruiting rankings. We didn't know if he'd even go to college. Well, he's on a recruiting visit on Saturday night, commits to Memphis, and then later in the weekend, J.J. Taylor, a former five-star, who has really tumbled down the recruiting rankings. He is now ranked not even in the top 100 in some recruiting services commits to memphis as well and so i want to talk about it but i'll just be blunt i wouldn't have done this if i was penny hardaway i am very surprised that he did it uh and let's break it down and let's talk about it because i think this is a very 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 interesting deal especially for this program and this coach specifically now for people who don't know the background on mikey williams um i think you can argue that he's right up there with his former aau teammate bronny james as the most prominent and certainly famous players in this high school basketball class of 2023 if you follow recruiting at all you know the name mikey williams uh really super athletic has made you know a bunch of like mixtapes and youtube and this and that and and before he got to high school this is kind of how quote-unquote famous that he is um had over a million followers on instagram before he got to high school for his dunks and you know he's a great athlete right so over a million followers prior to high school Gets to high school, has a really successful high school season as a freshman in the San Diego area, rated as a five-star, one of the best players in the class of 2023. But unfortunately, really as his star has ascended, as his fame has ascended, as probably to be blunt, some people around him, whatever, um, he's really struggled to be honest in the back half of his high school career. Uh, left San Isidro, that's a little bit south of San Diego, goes across country, plays in North Carolina. Now he is back in the San Diego area for his senior year of high school. But this was a guy that at one point was considered one of the top two, three prospects in this class. And if you watch him, he's still about the same size he was as an eighth grader, uh, still has that crazy athleticism. But unfortunately, the game around him has not developed. At six, two, six three, you'd want him to be a playmaker, a creator for others, take care of the ball, handle it, set others up, kind of a combo guard, can play on the ball, can play off the ball. And unfortunately, that is not how his game has evolved. I saw him at the Pangos All-American camp over the summer, and he looked really frustrated. I mean, playing with other really good players, um, you know, a lot of turnovers, wasn't making others better, wasn't getting shots for himself. Now, certainly in transition, he looked great. But I mean, when you're talking about winning basketball, basketball, you know, like, like playing basketball at the highest level, it just didn't feel like he was ready to do that. And so I bring it up because you have him, you have JJ Taylor, who, like I said, is a former top five player in his own right from the Chicago area, goes to Donda Academy in California. We all know that was Kanye West High School. Uh, The school shuts down. Now he's going to play in San Diego. And they both commit to Memphis over the weekend. And so why I bring it up is because to be blunt, if I was Penny Hardaway, I just wouldn't have done this. And I was actually kind of shocked that he took the commitment of these two players. Now, people are saying, why would they do that? Why would you be shocked? Torres, you don't want to see them play college basketball. No, listen, I've said it many times. I love college basketball. I want all the good players to play college basketball, to enjoy the college experience. I hope they all do, and I'm glad Penny Hardaway is giving them an opportunity. It's just not something I would have done, and I'm very surprised that Penny Hardaway specifically did it, and let me explain why. Remember, Penny is the guy that at this time last year and really about, you know, 13, 14 months ago now, what was the big buzz in college basketball? Amani Bates, former five-star player, really highly touted, kind of – Famous, if you will, as a 14, 15-year-old. His stock as a recruit is plummeting. It's going in the wrong direction. What happens at Memphis? Penny Hardaway decides to take him in. Penny Hardaway allows him to reclassify, comes to campus, and let's be blunt. It really, when Amani Bates was on the team, it did not work out. There were chemistry issues. There were minutes issues, all that, whatever, however you want to call it. And really, when the team got hot, when they played their best basketball last year was when Amani Bates left the team. Again, he said it was injury issues. It was weird. Had a back problem. Left campus. Went back to Michigan to see a specialist there. But I bring it up because Memphis played its best basketball without Amani Bates. And so, why I find this weird is because Penny Hardaway, after the Amani Bates experience, was very vocal about, "Man, I'm done with these these high profile high school kids. Give me older college players." kids that want to be on a college campus, kids that don't have a million people in their ear telling them what they should or should not do. And if you look at this 2022-2023 roster, that reflects it. I went back and looked. Monday night, they got the win at Vanderbilt, okay? Here is who was starting for Memphis. You had a fourth-year senior in Malcolm Dandridge, been with the program for four years. You had three fifth-year seniors, including Kendrick Davis, transfer from SMU. Also on top of that, you had a couple other guys, uh, Keontae Kennedy, who's a transfer and Alex Lomax, who has been with the program for five years now. And you also had Deandre Williams, who is, I believe the oldest player in college basketball. You're not going to believe this. He's 26 years old, born in 1996, older than Lonzo ball. Who's been in the NBA for six or seven years now. And so Memphis, you know, Penny Hardaway really spoke about making it a priority to get old, to stay old. And I just don't want to deal with all the drama with these high-profile high school kids. And so I'm not mad he took Mikey Williams. I don't care that he took Mikey Williams. I'm glad somebody's given Mikey a shot. But I'm just surprised that Memphis, after the year that Penny had last year, chose to do this. Now, it could be for any number of reasons. One, I'll say this about Mikey. The talent is there. The athleticism is there. The skill is there. I think right now he has more upside than Amani Bates did when he arrived at Memphis. That might sound crazy. Amani was a year or two younger when that happened, but Amani's not super athletic. He's not super skilled. Um, it was going to take progress. Mikey Williams at least still has NBA level athleticism, quick twitch, jumping ability, and if you can get him locked in, I think that's a kid that could play in the NBA. Now, he's got to get the ball handling much better. He's got to get the shooting stroke much better. He's got to get the defense much better. I don't know if he'll get there, but he can if he locks in on it. Also, maybe it's just Penny, you know, having a little bit more comfort at his alma mater. I'm not getting in trouble with the NCAA. We dodged that bullet. I made an NCAA tournament, so I have a little bit of leeway. Um, And maybe it's just Penny likes to help kids. And if that's the reason why, then I can't be mad at Penny. If he just wants to give a kid a shot, that's fine. Like I said, I'm just a little bit surprised that after the Imani Bates experience last year that Penny Hardaway made his this decision. Listen, it's his program. He can do what he wants. I'm glad Mikey's getting a shot somewhere. I'm glad J.J. Taylor, who we all thought was going to take one of these pro routes, is getting an opportunity somewhere. I'm just a little bit surprised by it. All right. With that said, I think that's it for this episode of the air tour sports podcast. Before we get out of here, a few things. One, I hope you're subscribed to this show, Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Music, wherever you listen to podcasts. Make sure you're subscribed. Uh, Make sure to rate and review the show. Go ahead. Give us a quick five stars. Let us know what you like, what you don't like, all that good stuff. Uh, As I told you to lead the segment, uh, we do have the new college hoop show. The College Hoops Daily with Zach Kroll. Zach works for me. Uh, the show is under my umbrella. I am appearing on it regularly. I will be on next Tuesday or Wednesday to kind of talk college hoops with him. Um, Zach's a really good young reporter. He covers a lot of games, lives in the New York area. I think he's going to do great things with that show. So make sure to subscribe available on Apple and Spotify. A few of you have asked about uh, a couple other apps. I'm working to get all those set up, but make sure to do that. And also make sure to follow on social media at Aaron underscore Torres at Aaron Torres pod. Uh, on Instagram, Aaron Torres, podcast questions. If you have questions for the show, uh, by the way, as I said, to lead the show road to 15 K on YouTube, make sure to subscribe there. And really that's it. That's all for today's show. And it is time for me to get out of here. I will be back on Friday, looking ahead to the weekend in college football, a little bit of a lighter slate, but we'll have some fun nonetheless. With that said, time for me to get out of here. Appreciate your support. I'm heading out. Shout out to Torque Craig. Shout out to Rachel who hates my voice. Shout out to JJ Redick, you F-head. Unblock me. I'll be back Friday. New episode. Aaron Torres, Sports pop
0: Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing the Godfather at ChompaCasino.com.